This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, welcome to C3. Thank you so much for choosing to hang out with us uh, for a few moments today. I I found out this week, I don't know if you saw the news but it looks like the NFL is actually going to play football. We heard that college football is actually going to happen in the fall. So as things are beginning to open back up, uh, I am pretty excited about that. When you think about football, one of the things you know, one of the things we all know is they're going to start practicing somehow very, very soon, even though the season doesn't start until August, September. And what they're going to practice is they're going to practice tackling. But these are professionals. They've been tackling for years. They're, they're going to practice running the ball and receiving, but these are professionals. They've been doing that for years. But it's important. They understand to accomplish everything that they desire, they've got to continue to go over the basic things that need to be done. And so this morning, for the next few moments, I, I want to just talk about a few basic things that we need to be aware of in marriage, in our marriages, because I believe every marriage has the potential to live in the actuality of being a great marriage. And so if you're married and your marriage is okay, I think it can be great. If your marriage is in trouble, I think there's a way for it to pull out of trouble and be everything you hoped it would be. Next month in June, it's the highest month of weddings in the entire calendar. There are on average in the United States alone, 13,000 weddings every June. I'm not sure what that's going to look like this June with everything that we're coming out of, but typically 13,000 weddings, and you have two people standing there holding hands, looking into each other's eyes, and there are huge hopes and huge dreams, and she's thinking about how this is all that she dreamed of and everything she's wanted since she was a little girl. She's thinking about how wonderful it is, and he's thinking, we know exactly what he's thinking, and he won't stop thinking that, But, but in this moment... The two people are going to say, I do. And what we know about marriage is it moves from I do often to what did I do? How does that happen? We read this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18 that says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. But sometimes it feels like that's not true. In some cases, and wives, the same thing could be true. Scripture says a lot about marriage and and how God set that up and it was God's idea. But you look at who you're married to now and what's happened over time. And it's very easy to think, really, God, you you came up with this. How do we go? How do we get from I do and all the hope filled moment that that is? to what did I do? I think there's a way that we can know if our marriage is in trouble. Dr. John Gottman wrote one of the best books I've ever read on marriage and relationships, Seven Principles That Make Marriage Work. And in it, he discusses some alarms that can be going off. Now, if you've been a part of C3 for a while, you've heard me discuss this before. But again, it's it's football getting ready for the season. It's important to go over the reminders, to be aware of what they are. If you've never heard this, what's incredible is there are these different alarms that can be sounding off in your relationship. If you're not married and maybe you're dating or maybe you'd like to be married one day, it's important to know what these alarms are 
Because if they begin to sound off in your relationship, they are a primary indicator that the relationship is in trouble. It's going in a direction that's not going to be helpful. And so we need to know what the alarms are. The first one is criticism. Criticism. Now, there's a difference in criticism and complaining. There, there are always going to be complaints because in a marriage, there are two people that are not perfect coming together to spend the rest of their life together. And what happens over time is the things that used to be kind of cute gradually become annoying if we're not careful. And we can become critical of the other person. Criticism is a complaint that went personal. A complaint is something like, hey, you, you always leave your underwear on the floor. Would you, would you stop doing that? And she says, okay. <laughs> not really, not really, not really. A, a complaint is, hey, I, I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, I've got some things that I do to pitch in and, and, and you do things. And one of your things is taking the trash out. Could you, could you make sure we missed it last week? Could you make sure that we get the trash out this week? That's a legitimate complaint. A criticism is when the complaint goes personal and, and instead of just, hey, could you take the trash out? It becomes, I just need to know what is wrong with you? Why is it that you can't do what other people that live on the street seem to be able to do every week when it's trash day? It's not that heavy. You, you can do it. It might constitute exercise for you because you rarely get off the couch. We've been in this COVID thing, but I think, I believe in you. Can you finally begin to maybe do this? That goes to, a whole level of criticizing the person. And if you've fallen into a pattern in your marriage where you're tossing these, these criticisms, criticisms at each other and you're being very personal, it goes beyond complaint. It is an alarm that is sounding off and it indicates that the relationship is in some level of trouble. I think about what scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. And the longer you're married, the longer you're with somebody. If you develop a pattern of looking for the negative and thinking about all the things that have happened and all the mistakes they've made or all the things they've done that you wish they wouldn't have done, you're keeping that record of wrongs. It can become very easy to move from just a complaint to a criticism. So the question we have to consider is, with the words that you speak, do you spend more time building up or tearing down your spouse? Do you say more things that are encouraging to your spouse, or do they, do they hear criticism from you on a regular basis? It's an alarm you've got to be aware of. I've got to be aware of. Another alarm, the second of the four alarms, is contempt. Now, contempt is the most dangerous of all the, the alarms. Contempt is being in a constant emotional state of negative feelings, always being irritated when you're around your spouse, always in that fight or flight mode, ready to fight, but sometimes just wanting to get away. It's when you get to the place in marriage that you take some pleasure in belittling the other person. It's when name-calling begins to enter the conversations and, and eye-rolling, and you find yourself living in a state of constant aggravation when you're around your spouse. This alarm, contempt, is the most poisonous and most dangerous to any relationship because you get to the place where you feel disgust toward the person you're married to. And while you may have your excuses and you've got your list, and some of you, some of you, if you could come and share with us today online, 
all of your complaints that, that slid into criticism, but all the issues you've had. Some of you, man, we would think, man, that, that's a sad story. We agree. But here's the issue. Contempt changes you. It doesn't just damage the relationship. If you live in a pattern of thinking where you focus on the negative and you allow it to build and it grows and it grows and it grows, you become a contemptuous person and it changes you. And you become negative about how you then see other relationships. Because when you're, when you're living in contempt, part of what you're doing is developing a pattern of assuming the worst all the time. The problem is, while the person you're married to certainly has some issues they need to deal with, and by the way, so do you, because none of us are perfect, you can then begin to lay that same kind of thinking over on your kids, or your friends, or the people you work with. Contempt is... Highly poisonous, very contagious, and is the most dangerous. It it comes from a growing negative feeling from all that's been building up and remains unresolved. From all that's been growing and has been not, not, not been dealt with. And sometimes when we think we're burying things to gloss over it, we feel like we're benefiting the relationship. And in actuality, it could be one of the worst things that we could do. There may need to be a conversation, not of criticism, but of complaint and an honest discussion. Ephesians chapter 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. That means it's possible to be angry and not to sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Because when you get in the place where you're living in contempt, that alarm is going off. You go to bed angry, you wake up angry. You're angry all the time. You're in a constant state of aggravation and anger towards your spouse, and there are never light moments. It doesn't lighten up. You've gotten to the place where that is just the atmosphere of the relationship. It's an alarm, and you need to pay attention. There's a third alarm, and the alarm is defensiveness. Defensiveness is that automatic response when we feel attacked, but it's actually not helpful. So when one spouse says to the other one, hey, I've asked you to take the trash cans out. Could you, could you please make sure that happens today? If the response is, you know what? I, I didn't get to it last week because of all the other things I have to do and everything that I've got on me around here without any real help. And, and so I'll get to it if I can, but there's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying more than my share and I've got some things I've got to do. And by the way, I work too and I have things going on too. So I, I, there's this expectation that I'm supposed to be the one to always do it. And, and, and it's always brought up if I don't, but you just have to understand I, I'm doing over and above what I need to be doing. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that are married, and you don't even have to be married to answer this, if you have any other human relationships, has being defensive ever worked? Like once you respond like that, has it ever been the case in your marriage or in your dating relationship or in a close friendship that the other person says, oh my goodness, I feel somewhat attacked and like a backhanded slap by what you just said, but you're right, I'll change, you don't need to. It never works. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's been called the love chapter, says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if my speech is so eloquent that it's beyond men, it's of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When you and I get to the place in our marriages that we're responding from a defensive posture. We're making a lot of noise, but accomplishing nothing. And it's another alarm. The fourth alarm is stonewalling. 
And while the second alarm, when contempt is in the relationship, is the most poisonous and the most dangerous, stonewalling is the final alarm. And if stonewalling is sounding in your relationship, in your marriage, you, the relationship, it is in serious trouble. Stonewalling is when the flare-ups happen in the relationship and one spouse just sort of begins to check out. Where there used to be fights and arguments and discussions in a passionate way sometimes, one spouse just begins when those flare-up happens, they kind of drop their head and lower their eyes and they look at a spot on the floor and there's no response. They're not slinging back the grenade of criticism. They're not making the faces, rolling the eyes in contempt. They're not trying to defend themselves in any way. They're just waiting for you to stop and hush. And they just, they just don't care. Scripture also says in 1 Corinthians 13, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Could be translated, love never gives up. Stonewalling is when one of the two people are raising the white flag of surrender and saying, I give up. Not on life, not on the future, but on you and on this marriage. Now, here's the thing about these four alarms. These four alarms, if three of the four alarms are going off in your marriage, You have, according to research, a 94% chance that your marriage will end in divorce. 94% chance that it's not, it's over. Unless you do one thing. There is one thing that can change the entire direction of your marriage, and it, it won't be like flipping a light switch. It will take time. So before you, before you decide, hey, we're just done, it's 94%, let's forget it. Did you know that as a pastor, a lot of the people that I talk to, in fact, I would say a vast majority, and there's also research to back this up, a vast majority of people who go through a divorce years later regret it. They wish they could go back in time. It doesn't mean they want things to be just like they were. Of course, they would prefer there be some changes, but overall, the divorce did not provide in their lives what they hoped it would and did not get them to the place where they thought they would be. So if three of the four alarms are going off, there's a 94% chance that your marriage won't make it. And what's interesting to me is, out of the ones who do, in fact, we read in research, half the people who get married, it ends in divorce. But did you know only three out of 10 couples that get married end up having a healthy and happy relationship? Seven out of 10, five out of 10 divorce, another two out of 10 stay married but stay miserable. So if you're in that place where, hey, we're in trouble and you're evaluating the alarms, you're thinking about your relationship and you're wondering, okay, what about us? And and, and as we talk about this, there's a lot of pain that comes up and there's a history there and you can look back at this argument and that argument and what happened in that situation and how you were treated in that circumstance and all those feelings come up. Hey, I want you to think about one thing today. You and I never make our best decisions when we're in significant pain. Don't make a decision you may regret later because of how you feel now. And now may not be just this moment. Now may be a season in your life and you've felt it for a while. But is there something you could do? I've tried everything. Having a better marriage 
has much more to do with you becoming better than your spouse becoming better. And sometimes, sometimes that's hard to hear. Because as you look at your life, you know you're not perfect. But you think, man, I'm, I'm the one trying. I'm the one always giving in. I'm the one trying to appease this, every situation. I, I'm trying. And you're going to tell me that it's more about what I can do? Well, what if there's still something you can do that God could try to be, be trying to work in your life and in your circumstances. And if you do it, whether your marriage is restored and you, you move to the place of not just staying together, but becoming happy and in living a healthy and happy marriage, what if there's something you could do to accomplish that? Because the reality is God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. And God is the only one that can do that. It's up to God to resurrect dead things, and and not just marriages that have been dead. Maybe you feel like, hey, there's no hope for us. We don't have three of the alarms. We have four of the alarms, and one of us, or maybe both of you are at the place of, we just don't care. That's not how it started. It was a day and a moment and a season where you were hopeful. Yeah, but I, I, I got to know them, and this is not, yeah, but they got to know you too. And you have the opportunity to write an incredible story of how God can do something even in the most difficult moment that will become a part of your legacy that you pass on to your kids. God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things, but not just marriages. Through COVID-19, maybe your world has been turned upside down in your career. God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. Maybe your finances have been obliterated. God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. Maybe as you look at your future, you have no idea if it's going to look like what you thought it would look like. God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. So you and I can trust him. But when it comes to marriage, what's the one thing we can do that has the greatest opportunity, the greatest possibility to turn it around? If if three three out of the four alarms are sounding... How do we turn this around? If just one or two are sounding, how do we turn it around before it gets to three or four? If all four are sounding and it seems hopeless, what can we do? It's it's very simple. Very simple, yet very difficult to do. Some things are very simple to know, but very difficult to live out day by day. Here's the one thing. Kindness is the key if happy is what you want to be. It's all about kindness. Remember that verse, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Did you know that couples that have been married for 50 years or longer that say they're happier than they've ever been, they're more in love than they've ever been, they look back and while there were things to get over and seasons to navigate and There were hurts that went both ways because nobody's perfect. They would say, our marriage has been pretty healthy and we're we're incredibly happy and so blessed to still be together. Did you know it's attributed, according to research, to one thing? They were kind to each other. Because kindness is what cultivates the friendship. Love is patient. We know love is supposed to be patient. But in some ways, patient paints a picture of waiting. 
And when I'm waiting, love is patient. We tend to think in a marriage relationship, okay, I'll try to be patient. I'm going to wait on you to improve in that area. I'm going to wait on you to get better in that thing. I'm going to wait on you to change this thing. We're waiting on somebody else. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kind can be about what somebody else can do, and I'm going to respond in kindness, but we can also initiate kindness no matter what the other person does. Kindness can be an initiator because kindness makes your spouse feel cared for. Kindness is what makes your spouse feel understood and validated. Kindness is the one thing that will help your spouse feel loved. And so as you look at your marriage, would you say that your attitude, feelings, and actions toward your spouse could be described as kind? I'm not talking about five years ago, 10 years ago. I'm talking about right now. Well, that's just, that's, that's not who I am. That's not how I was raised. She knew that when she married me. He knew that when he married me. It's just, it's just kind of who I am. Listen, there are two ways to think about kindness. One way to think about kindness is, is uh, you have it or you don't. You're a kind person just naturally or you're not, and it is what it is. That's one way to think about it. But I think there's a more helpful and more accurate way to think about kindness. Instead of thinking you have it or you don't, what if we thought about kindness as a muscle? Because some people are naturally stronger than other people, but with exercise, all of us can grow stronger. And so what if you viewed kindness in your life as a muscle that needs to be exercised? Now, sir, you may have to go over to that corner of the gym where the dumbbells are real small and they're pink and kind of fuzzy. You may need to start there building the muscle because you have very little kindness muscle at all. It's somewhat anemic because it's never been exercised. But if you begin to do that, you'll eventually get to the 50, 55 pound dumbbells, but it won't happen if you don't begin somewhere. It is a muscle to be exercised. And the more you use it, the more it grows. Another thing we know about kindness, kindness chooses its blindness. We all have blind spots, areas of our lives that we don't see what the people closest to us see. We just don't recognize it. Kindness chooses its blindness. Kindness makes the deliberate decision of I'm going to assume the best and be blind to the worst. I'm going to practice letting some things go. I'm going to just try to do everything I can. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin and love can cover a lot of other things as well. And so can love cover it? Is it something I'm going to let, oh, let, let go? If, if, if you bring up everything and you're offended by everything, you'll never accomplish anything. And if every little thing has to be talked through from every angle and discussed and hashed and rehashed, nobody's going to want to be married to you. There's some things we might just need to let love cover. Because then on the things that even though we try, love can't cover, those conversations are more infrequent because we're not throwing stuff up all the time. And as a result, we can often get better results. Because you're not the kind of person that just goes off about everything. And so if you're bringing one thing up occasionally, you have more traction and I'll tend to listen more. When we become critical, when we become negative and develop a negative mindset, we miss 50% of the positive things our spouse is doing. You can actually get to the place when these alarms are going off. If you don't begin to practice kindness, it's going to keep going in a direction that's going to end in a train wreck. And you can get to the place where you can see negativity when it's not even there. And you'll notice it because you'll hear your kids say things like, Dad, Mom wasn't even trying. Mom, Dad wasn't even like... 
See, we choose to be blind to the positive or the negative. Kindness is also being generous with our spouse's intentions. You took the time to set up a dinner date. You're both coming from work and you're going to meet there. And sir, you get there and she's not there. She's not on time. And your mind can immediately go to the times that she wasn't on time. There have been times she was on time, but you've built a track record, a story, and a history. And maybe she has a greater propensity to be late more often than you do, but she has been on time for things. She has that ability and she does that often. And yet in your mind, you go to this story that you've told yourself over and over and over again about how she's always late. You feel disrespected. Your heart begins to race a little bit. You you begin to get frustrated. You you begin to wonder why you're there. You think the whole evening's ruined. She, She can't even be considerate enough to show up on time for an evening that was supposed to be special. What you don't know is on the way to that dinner, she remembered that this, this is the week. This is the week when you were in middle school that you got the bad news about your mom. And your mom's okay now, but it, but it brings back that memory. And she's aware because she's married to you and she's been with you. And so even though she was running a little bit behind, she wanted to stop and pick up a gift, a small gift on the way, just to show her thoughtfulness to you. But you've been busy telling yourself a story rather than focusing on reality. And it's a story informed by times in the past. But listen, don't you want to be the kind of person that gives the opportunity for people to grow and become better? Because that's how I want people to view me. And how do you think she feels, sir, when she walks in that restaurant and she sits that little gift down on the edge of the table only to look in your face that's incredibly sour and frustrated because you're all upset? Kindness is being generous with your spouse's intentions. It's believing the best, even in some of the worst moments. Kindness is knowing, okay, he's trying to become more kind. And listen, because kindness is not like a light switch we flip. It's a pattern we begin to live, and it takes time to to shift our attitudes and our thinking and how we process things, even in arguments especially. I think it's important to consider, while the execution may be poor, the intention may be pure. I mean, don't you want to be the kind of person that cheers on and celebrates when somebody's trying to make positive change? You have the ability, if you don't cheer on the positive change that's taking place in your spouse's life, when they haven't reached perfection yet, they've just started trying, you have the ability to kill the momentum in the entire equation by by not noticing that and celebrating that. I shouldn't have to do that. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you should. You are the one person on planet Earth that promised to love an imperfect person in a way that's healing and beneficial to them. Yes, you should, as should they. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you about what's going to help you, and it'll help you not only in your marriage, it'll help you become a better parent, a better person, a better coworker, a better friend. See, if we learn to appreciate and value the effort, our spouse will keep trying and will become better at those things because we get better at the things we practice. So if we become the kind of person that notices even the little attempts to to change the areas that need to be changed and, and we show kindness as we think about their intentions and what they're doing and we begin to cheer that on, people imitate what you celebrate. Praise gets you much further than criticism. And so you get to sort of be an architect 
to the process of your spouse's change and help it go in a positive way or a negative way. You're not responsible, but you do get to help have influence in that process. And research shows the more someone sees or receives kindness, the more kind they will themselves be over time. So how do we respond in those moments if some of those alarms are going off? What do we begin to do? There are different ways we can respond. She just got the news that she actually got into medical school. It was her pick. It's the school she wanted to go to. And she walks into the home at the end of the day and she sees her husband. And she says, you you won't believe it. I got in. I got accepted to medical school at this school. He has four different ways he can respond. The first is passively unkind. He ignores what she says, and he says, you won't believe the great news I got yesterday. I want a free T-shirt. I called in the radio. I never get in, and I got the free T-shirt. Passively unkind. Or he can respond in a passively kind way. Acknowledge her incredible news, but in a half-hearted, understated way where he says that's great without even looking up as he's texting his friend. That's great. Or he can respond in an actively unkind way. He can diminish the good news and say something like, are you sure you can handle all of that studying? And what about, what about the cost? Medical school is so expensive. Or he can, and he can respond in an actively kind way. And this is the goal. And this is where the process will take you if you begin to practice kindness. He walks through the door and makes the announcement. She's excited to tell him, this is her husband. I got into the medical school I applied for, the one that I wanted, I got in. And he, to be actively kind, if he wants to be actively kind, stops what he's doing and engages wholeheartedly. He looks her right in the face and says, that is awesome. Congratulations. I am so proud of you. When did you find out? Did they call you? Do you know what classes you're going to take first? And he dives in for that moment into her world, into something that's so special to her just because he's kind. And he doesn't want it to be passive kindness with some minimal acknowledgement. He he wants to be actively kind. And it makes a difference. So it doesn't matter how unkind you may feel like you are. And by the way, by the way, it's pointless right now to consider how unkind your spouse is because you can't change them, only God can. But you can do something about what you're hearing today that applies to your life. Kindness, kindness. How would your marriage change if you, just just one of you in the equation, began to be more kind? How would your parenting change? How would your friendships change if you became a person that showed active kindness? And how, how would our communities and our families change if we all did this? Our God is a kind God. In fact, Scripture says it's the kindness of God that brings us to Him. It's not the fear of God. It's not the judgment of God. It's the kindness of God because He loves me even though I'm not perfect. He loves me even though I'm broken. He wants to work in my life, and He blesses me even though I don't deserve it. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the message translation. I love this translation. This verse, it says, God is kind, but He's not soft. Kindness is not softness. Sometimes kindness takes far more strength than responding a different way. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. 
God's in the business of resurrecting dead things, and if you're a person that has not been kind, you can become one of the kindest people on planet Earth if you'll allow God to take your hand in a firm way and lead you into radical life change. And it begins with being aware. It begins with noticing if the alarms are going off in the marriage and determining you're not going to passively sit by and let life happen to you. You're going to create a preferred future as best you can. And a preferred future doesn't have anything to do with affecting what somebody else does. It has to do with affecting how you see things and how, what you're going to change in your life and how you're going to become the best version of you. But the best version of you? Hey, listen. The best version of you will never exist and you will never experience it unless you know God in a personal way. Maybe the greatest need in your life is to have a personal relationship with the living God. A God who loves you deeply. A God who wants to show you His kindness and lead you to radical life change. To become the person that you know you want to be. The person that maybe you now doubt you can be. But with God you can so today, if you'd like to invite Christ to come into your life, if, if you'd like to make that significant spiritual decision where you just say yes to the offer that God has made, the offer to be your personal God, the offer of receiving the free gift of eternal life because of what Jesus did by coming and dying on a cross and getting up from the dead and defeating death and sin, is today the day that you need to say yes the offer from God, to be your personal God, to come and live inside you, to forgive you, grab you by the hand, and take you to that place of radical life change. It's the first step in becoming kind. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Right where you are, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And help me to live for you. I say yes to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at Give c3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.